Gee whiz, golly, I haven't seen yous in ages. Cobb, you old skirt chaser. What you talking about? I just saw you last week. Yous for reals, Coop? I haven't seen you since you invented that robot broad that nearly killed us. Don't you remember? Huh? Robot broad? Oh, oh, you right, Cobb. I just, I guess it just feels like not much time has passed since then. I've just been sitting here doing nothing. Nothing much that matters, no how. Cooper, are you okay? You looks like you's gonna cry. I, I, I'm sorry I abandoned you, but I, I just got good news. <gasps> you kidnapped Christopher Nolan again? Ah, uh, no, Coop, not that. And don't forget, you were the one who came up with that old scheme. Anyhow, since you brought him up, turns out old Chrissy Nolan made another movie. And it's in theaters right now. No lockdown, no nothing. The, the theaters? They're open again? You's not fooling? It's the honest truth, Cooper. Swear to Leonardo and hope to DiCaprio. Don't you want to see the new Christopher Nolan movie? You mean the new Christopher Nolan film? Yes, whatever. Hmm. I don't know, Cobb. I, I just don't know. You just don't know, but Cooper, you've been a Chrissy Nolan fan ever since we saw Batman Begins at a church youth group lockdown. And you lied and told everybody there that you also saw Memento. Ah, you's right, Cobb. I've been a fan of Nolan long as anyone can remember. I even watched Following and pretended it's not derivative or disappointing across the board. Cooper, don't tell me. You... You never watched Tenet, did you? Even though it was the movie you wanted to see more than anything, anyways, anyhow. <sighs> it's true, Cobb. I never watched it. I've just been in this room watching other movies. Other movies? Cooper, what the hell's the matter with you? Well, what happened to my old pal? Well, it just happened so fast. I couldn't accept that Tenet could be the most disappointing thing since... Well, following. So I just watched other movies to prove Christopher Nolan is a genius. But then, before I knew it, I started to like all the movies. Even ones made before 1999. Even, even... Cooper, don't tell me. <sighs> even movies made before the 80s. <gasps> Say it ain't so, Cooper. Say it ain't. It is so, Cobb. I learned there's a whole wide world of movies out there with dialogue that people can understand and hear correctly and characters who have the sex even. Wow, Coop. All this time you've been learning and growing and developing as a person. You're not like a Christopher Nolan character at all. That's the truth, Cobb. But you know what? I think that means I'm ready. I'm finally ready to watch a new Chrissy Nolan picture with my old pal. That's you. <laughs> you got it, Coop. Let's watch Oppenheimer, just you and me, just like old times. Wow, the movie's over, Coop. What'd you think? What do I think? I think Chrissy Nolan is a genius is what I think. Isn't nobody know how makes a picture like he does. And that Hans Zimmer score? What have you? Ah, Coop. Hans Zimmer didn't do the music for Oppenheimer. Good one, Cobb. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'd pay all the money from my part-time job in Margaritaville to watch that again at least three more times. Maybe more. Nobody makes movies like Nolan. Nobody. We should go find him and tell him. Maybe tie him up so he doesn't run away from us again. Uh, Cooper? Yeah. What is it, Cobb? You want to watch the movie again and make it our personalities for the next few weeks? Uh, no, but, well, I was just going to say it's it's good to have you back, Coop, I guess. Same here. Come on, let's go talk about this three-hour movie for four hours straight at Margaritaville. 
Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a freelance film writer and the father of the atomic bombshells. Well, he himself is the bombshell. It's Will Ashton. What up? And Will, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. A very special guest. Very, very special. I believe this is his podcast debut. Now, a lot of the listeners, they, they listen to the show and they're like, you know, John got married last year and Will was one of his groomsmen. But yeah, congratulations. When, when are we going to thank you? When are we going to hear another one of John's groomsmen's? We, we've, we know Maverick Hines and there are three other mystery men. Well, we, we're going to finally cross one off the list right here because we have uh somebody who i i definitely you know have always wanted to have on cinemaholics for as long as i can remember his name is parth he is the best and uh hey hey parth welcome welcome to cinemaholics for the first time hey guys no good to be here definitely we've talked about this quite a bit so excited to be here with y'all parth (laughs) (laughs) what's up well hey i'm just so happy right now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, you guys met just last year, but you guys haven't had a chance to really talk much, right? Since uh, the wedding and all that mm-hmm. fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We literally talked about this at the wedding. We were like, when are we getting on the podcast <laughs> together? So I'm excited for it. Yeah, you were supposed to be on our uh, Nope review back uh, last year. But you said Nope uh, to Nope, Yeah, <laughs> but he said Yup to Oppenheimer. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, we're going to talk about a new Christopher Nolan movie. And Parth, you're somebody I know who you love TV. And I know you like movies too, but you're, I always think of you more as like the guy who's on the latest TV stuff coming out. So uh, I want I want to kind of start with this. Is there anything you've been watching lately on the TV side to kind of give like an impression to people listening? Like, okay, what's this Parth guy about? Like, what are the kind, what's his tastes? Um, but you could also say movies too, if you have something more uh, relevant to that, if you want. Yeah, no, honestly, uh, probably the most recent shows that I've just finished. Uh, so Succession, loved that show. Um, Will still hasn't finished it. He says he's too busy. That's not the reason. No, well, actually, it probably is actually the reason. I I am just about done with season three. I plan to catch up very soon. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm still. Well, you got to catch up. You I'm absolutely to. need to catch up. Yeah, I plan to. <laughs> yeah, no, love Succession. Uh, incredible show. Um, and yeah, it's just actually got into Silo recently on Apple TV. And so heard good things. Uh, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, it's been really good so far. You know, just just only about two or three episodes in, um, but really getting into it. Um, it's hard to fill that void after you uh, finish watching Succession. So trying to trying to get there. But, it, but it's it's been fun so far. What about Christopher Nolan movies? I mean, that's the topic of the day. We haven't gotten a Christopher Nolan movie released normally since Dunkirk in 2017. Tenet did come out sort of in 2020. It was the movie that people said would save movie theaters. It didn't. And uh, before Dunkirk, we had Interstellar, which also was kind of like, ah, you know, it did okay. Uh, I, maybe I'm underselling it. Did Will, am I forgetting Interstellar made a lot of money? Because I feel like it did have some like cultural yeah. impact, huh? No, it did well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that I was the disappointed. Repi- yeah, I think the reputation for it has grown more. I think people were initially like positive, but like unsure. I, I don't know. I still think that's probably his most personal film. Mm. So I'm uh, maybe this one might eclipse it. Uh, may, I don't know. That's a nice discussion later. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm definitely a fan of Interstellar. I think a rewatch would actually put it higher in my estimation. What, what about you, though, Parth? Because uh, we don't. We, I've never talked to you about Christopher Nolan, I don't think. Not really in, de- in depth yet. Um, but yeah, I loved Interstellar. But to be honest, uh, I would say Inception's probably still my favorite uh, Christopher Nolan film. I mean, that one's a blast start to finish, right? I mean, that, I remember going to the midnight screening for where it and just being like definitely like a, you know, a basic mind blown kind of thing. Because I, when I saw it, I was like 20, 19 years old. So I was pretty young. And I remember like just watching the theater, not really knowing, like I didn't have the biggest expectations for it. I just went because I had friends who really wanted to see it. And I just remember being like, man. I, I've never quite seen a movie like that that like has this kind of this big budget, such an original premise. Like it's not based on you know some huge IP, nor is it this kind of gimmicky sort of like it's not Jurassic Park or something like that. It's not franchise bait. And yeah, Inception is just like such a such a bona fide crowd pleaser. But he hasn't really made a movie since or since Inception that's really been like that, right? Because I mean, Dark Knight Rises was still kind of more of a. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I would say Tenet is kind of a return to that Inception style filmmaking. Such a different movie, though. I mean, it's it's just completely like, OK, my thing with Tenet is that it's like incomprehensible. like, And it, it just doesn't have that same bombast and like satisfying mm. verve that Inception had. Like Inception, you could just watch it and enjoy it. It was way more accessible. Tenet, I feel like you have to have like a degree in like, you know, babble speak, psychobabble mm. or something. To Disagree. Grasp it. I think. Do I need to rewatch I, it? I think you need to rewatch it. I uh, mean, I think for me, it's so boring. Tenet is just more about the vibes. Like, is it that type of film where I think if you get too caught up in the weeds of the techno babble, you're not going to have a fun time. It's kind of like a, I don't know. I know that um, Chris Renault really loves Michael Mann. I feel like that's probably the most akin to Michael Mann of his filmography, even when The Dark Knight's trying to be Heat. Yeah. Like I feel like that that's the one that actually kind of gets the vibe of like a later period um like Michael Mann movie. Uh but I never tell you about my experience seeing Inception, John. No, I mean I've always wanted to know, but I was never bold enough to ask yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's not like an amazing experience or anything. I just remember that um I saw Inception with my dad and uh my future podcasting uh co host Matt Serafini. We all enjoyed the film, and I was like, yeah, that's cool. Now I'm going to do a double feature and sneak into another movie. Do you want to guess what that movie was? Let's see. It's 2010. Uh, around this time, let's see. Scott Pilgrim versus the World hadn't come out yet. Right. Clash of the Titans, I think, was coming out around this time. Nope. That was and... uh, in the spring, I think. Was it the spring? Man, summer 2010. Uh, Law Abiding Citizen, I think, was... Maybe that was spring as well. I think that was the year before. Was that 2009? Oh, Okay. Um, I don't know. Anyway, Night and day. Uh, that's probably the closest gift you've gotten so far. It was <laughs> Mark and Jay Duplass's Cyrus. Wow, so, I never even saw that. And so now that we've gotten Barbie from Get a Gerwig, I feel like it's time for the like mind-bending blockbuster from from the Duplass brothers. So you know and the door Cyrus. is opened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Cyrus. Yeah, <laughs> guys, I must. I'm. Yeah, I must confess, I actually never watched Tenet, and uh, I've heard only negative things about it. So i i got I think I need to. I think I need to actually take the plunge and actually watch it because it sounds like uh, Will's been hyping it up. Yeah, Arthur, I feel I mean, like we got to be in. We got to make it a movie night or something. Yeah, I know, and just push through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll caveat and say that I still think it's probably 
in the lower half of his filmography. But I I think I've enjoyed pretty much every Christopher Nolan film. So that's not a um, like criticism or anything like that. I mean, I wouldn't put it above like what I consider the more higher uh, echelon films like Memento and The Dark Knight and Inception mm. and the oh, definitely The Prestige. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think it's a really fun time. Yeah. I would just say, like I said before, just go in for the vibes. Don't like think too heavy about it. It just like it's just a fun, cool, goofy movie. Now, Oppenheimer is a little bit different from a lot of his movies. It's definitely closer uh, in spirit, right, to Dunkirk, just in the sense that it is a World War II movie, first of all, or it takes place, uh, a lot of it takes place during World War II or within the, the decades surrounding it. And it's also different in the sense that it's a very biographical film. It's a little bit more like prestige, although I wouldn't call prestige biographical in nature. I mean, it's just kind of using one person's life to tell a story. In this sense, it's this is definitely a movie more devoted to the real person um, than I think anything we've seen from him. I mean, Will, you said that Interstellar was his most personal film. Oppenheimer, to me, feels like it's his most like personal film by proxy, almost. Sure. Well, that's why I said. I mean, I opened it up by saying that, like, you know, it could, until now, until now, yeah, it could be, yeah. 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 Um, this is a very long movie too. One of his longer movies. This is uh, definitely longer than Dunkirk. That's for sure. Um, I mean, I think this is like the absolute longest you can make a film reel for IMAX. They said. I could see that because I saw that some of the cans that they had on the platters, and it was like wow, <laughs> like humongous for this movie. Um, it is 180 minutes, almost exactly three hours long because of the credits. Like depending on how you balance that out. And this movie, he also did the screenplay. He doesn't always write his movies, or he didn't always used to. Uh, he used to, mo a lot uh, of the time he would collaborate with Jonathan Nolan, right? I just mean like Soul. Oh, you're talking Solo? I mean, I yeah, think he's yeah. been writing his own scripts since Dunkirk, if I'm not mistaken. Insomnia, I think, is the only one he didn't write at all. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I forget which ones he's solo written versus co-written. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty much, uh, I mean, at least Tenet, late, he definitely solo yeah. wrote, you can tell. Uh, Dunkirk, uh, Tenet, and then now this one, or like his solo yeah, writing. Inter yeah, because Interstellar, he definitely co-wrote that. I know that for sure. Um, so there you go. Okay. Yeah, because that was uh, Jonathan Nolan's like idea, and then Christopher Nolan kind of shepherded. Right, right. Um, so uh, I think the Inception, he also solo wrote, if I'm not mistaken. So I I'll double check that, but I do think that that no, was one of the... F sorry? I think that's, no, I was going to say that's correct, yeah. That's correct? Okay. Um, so anyway, Christopher Nolan... Quite a filmography. Uh, Oppenheimer itself, uh, as I already kind of mentioned, it's about a real person, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who I think is, I don't know how famous Oppenheimer is to like people in America. I mean, I knew who Oppenheimer was, but I don't know if that was just a, a symptom of being too online or just, you know, watching a lot of videos about World War II and playing Call of Duty and like stuff like that. I don't know if like, I don't remember learning about Oppenheimer in school. Did you part? Not really. Honestly, I had to Google him right before the movie just to kind of get the whole uh, background, you know, mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, his impact on World War II. And uh, yeah, it was it was incredible because I feel like that quick Google search uh, still didn't do like the movie like justice because like, mm. it just dove into so many different aspects of what I thought it would be like going into it. Um so yeah, no, it, it was incredible kind of learning more about his, uh, his life. He's played by Killian Murphy and, uh, Killian Murphy's, I mean, like the performance of his career. I, I think that this guy went into this movie. I don't even know if he had 
best actor on his brain. But I mean, he just, I mean, he had to, at a certain point realize like, Oh man, I'm kind of giving the best performance of my career right now. Uh, you can kind of tell, uh, it's quite I incredible. Mean, we cover his life from the 1920s when he is in his twenties through, uh, I won't give away how far past that we go, but I mean, we go through the Manhattan project and then a lot of the fallout, no pun intended mm-hmm. from there. Uh, so we see him like span, like young guy, young buck to professor to uh, the post-war sort of, you know, a stage of his life that's a little bit more complicated, right? Yeah, I was going to say, as far as Cillian Murphy is concerned, I feel like since Killian. Christopher, sorry, Cillian Murphy, uh, since, uh, you know, he's just been like a main player for Christopher Nolan all his time, but never gotten like one of the main lead roles outside of Scarecrow and Batman Begins. It's like now that Christopher Nolan's finally like, all right, you're, you've paid your dues. You're going to get a lead role. He's like, oh, I can't mess this up. Like, you know, even though he's done lead roles before, obviously elsewhere, like 28 days later and whatnot. Um, it just feels like, yeah, he like wants to make the most of it. It seemed like from what I read, like it was a very internally intensive performance, which makes sense given, you know, all the inner turmoil that uh, Oppenheimer has throughout the film. And yeah, I mean, I definitely think this is absolutely one of his best performances for sure. Absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually wins an Oscar for it, to be honest. Um, I thought it was he was that good in it. He's been good for a long time. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen him in anything since Quiet Place Part 2, which he had a decent role in that, like decently sized. Uh, a lot of people recognize him from Peaky Blinders, which wrapped up last year, a uh, show where he was the main guy. And I, yeah, we, we've seen him pop up in not just Christopher Nolan movies, but he's popped up in all kinds of like smaller roles, like movies of all different stripes, you know, lots of indie stuff for sure. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, before this, if I ask people like, OK, what's uh, Killing Murphy's, you know, best role? Some people would probably point to something like, uh, you know, what? maybe they'd get a little funny and they'd be like sunshine. How about that? Um, but until now, yeah, this to me is like the definitive performance. and. The setup of the movie, I don't want to get into too much detail, but uh, one thing to know about this movie going in, you're going to see basically like every actor in Hollywood who isn't in Killers of a Flower Moon in this movie, basically. Um, yeah. Huge ensemble cast. Uh, unbelievable. The the talent that Nolan and his team managed to assemble here. But if you're going to point to a couple of the other main players, we have Matt Damon, Florence Pugh, and uh, definitely a big performance from Robert Downey Jr. Uh, one of his biggest since uh, the big, you know, all the Marvel stuff. Um, mm. yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, people are looking at me like Robert Downey Jr. You know, more like Robert Downey supporting actor Oscar mm. nomination. Like there's some of that talk going around. Who knows? Yeah. I, I feel a little slighted that I'm the only white brunette man that wasn't asked to be in this film. <laughs> <laughs> well said well said um but yeah no oppenheimer what did what did you think we'll start with you parth did you have big expectations for this movie going in because i think you saw it after some of the reviews were coming out so you you probably had a sense of like okay critics are liking this but you know that can mean anything right uh yeah what were your expectations going in and what was your overall takeaway of this movie yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, expectations were definitely high going in. You know, it's Christopher Nolan. Uh, you got an amazing cast. Um, it's during uh, opening weekend with Barbenheimer. And so a lot of hype around it. I think, like, this was probably the first weekend post-COVID that a lot of, like, your average moviegoer, you know, truly excited to go to the theaters and watch a movie. And so whether uh, if it, you know whether it was Barbie or Oppenheimer, I think there was just a lot of hype around it. Um so expectations were definitely high. Uh, and 
I honestly think it met the expectations. Uh, and it, I probably actually exceeded it quite a bit in, in my eyes because uh, I think I got a lot more insight into not only the history behind it, um, but also like Oppenheimer himself. And, and I think like the biggest thing for me was, I guess the biggest piece of insight that I didn't really know going into the movie was like how much guilt he had um, after uh, orchestrating, like, you know, after Project Manhattan, after like the atomic bomb, like how much guilt he had uh, for playing such a critical role in the development of the atomic bomb and um, how it really kind of like structured the rest of his life after, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, key scenes throughout the movie um where you see it uh, in, in, in in his acting uh you see it kind of like based on like you know his reaction to the trial they had with him um you know like you, you can tell that this this man was pretty much haunted for the rest of his life um and so i i thought it was incredible from a from acting overall story uh, a lot of the cinematic pieces uh like you know, towards the end of the movie, like them actually showing like the earth, like being scorched, uh, you know, and burning. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was really, really neat to kind of see it all come together. Yeah, I mean, you said it there, I think, or you, you summed it up well, the sense of how like this is two movies and really like the stuff with the bomb. You know, I didn't really watch the marketing for this until after the fact. And one thing I noticed is like you could watch the trailer and kind of just assume that the climax of this movie is like, oh yeah, we're building up to the bomb or building up to the atom bomb and all that stuff. That's the middle. And really this, this is two movies. The first movie is how do we get to the point where the atomic bomb and the Manhattan project come together. And then the second movie is like everything after, but I think what's smart about it is that the movie seeds a lot of the post bomb stuff in the first half. Like it doesn't just save everything and do it chronologically, which had me thinking a lot about how this, this feels like the payoff to the, the experimentation that no one was doing with Dunkirk. Dunkirk being a movie that was all about sort of like the, how, you know, telling a story, you don't have to do it chronologically. You don't have mm -hmm. to do it in a linear way. You can stitch things together. And that ended up being a movie about how the story of history can be told through editing. And this, I feel like, is a way better execution, or an even better execution of that, I should say. Uh, but what about you, Will? Because I know if anybody was looking forward to Oppenheimer, it was you. Mm -hmm. um, because I know you, uh, I know you love you love bombs. You think that bombs are the bomb? Yeah, I mean, I think I prefer like movie bombs. You know, like a like a you know box office disaster that I can get fascinated by, not mm -hmm. you know an atomic bomb that kills. We had plenty of those this year. That's yeah. for sure. This that summer. is definitely true. Definitely true. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, first I want to say, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, there's the color segments. I think it's called like friction, and then the black and white segments, which are called fusion, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, and, and the color version is supposed to be a little bit more um, like in Oppenheimer's like recollection, like it's it's painted by memory and feeling. And then the black and white is supposed to be this is like what happened. This is more factual to reality, obviously. Um, you know, it's a film, a, a narrative documentary or not document, uh, narrative uh, dramatic film. So uh, there's a uh, license. But yeah, I mean, it definitely uh, showcases, I think, a very interesting progression point forward for Nolan in the sense that he's had always this kind of engineer-like mentality to making films. Uh, I think I even talked about that when we were discussing, or actually you weren't in our Tenet review, but when we reviewed Tenet on the show, 
yeah, I was talking about how like that movie kind of feels like this like big kind of ticking clock that's very meticulously made and whether or not that uh, hurts the film in terms of the emotionality or the logic of it. I just think he gets so kind of caught up in the, the gears and the locks and spins of it that, you know, he, he thinks about all like the kind of things that can make a film work. And what's fascinating about this one is it's about a guy who's so caught up in the how, in the sense of like, can they pull this off? Can we make this atomic bomb that can scare our enemies and like allow, you know, like this huge, uh, you know, scientific breakthrough to happen, but he doesn't really ultimately focus on what could be the why and like how that could be used against him. And when that sense of control can, uh, escape him and, you know, be far more, uh, climatic or, uh, you know, far more disastrous than anything that he could have really envisioned in the broad scheme of things. And yeah, I mean, obviously, Nolan isn't responsible for anything quite as uh, callous as that, uh, I would hope. But uh, yeah, I mean, just that sense of like, feeling so like caught up in the the idea of being someone who can pull off these huge feats, like, you know, can be someone that can do such great uh, monumentous things, but not really uh, understanding what that could cost someone, especially in terms of their personal life and well-being, really makes this rich in a way that I feel like other Nolan movies have in the past maybe not been able to tap into, which is that emotionality and that core human element that I feel like is uh, so crucial to making this movie work in addition to the... uh, technical mechanics of it and yeah i mean it just makes for uh a definitely more mature and uh more compelling film than i think we've seen from nolan uh in recent years at least since uh interstellar in my view and uh, definitely one of the most impressive theatrical experiences uh for me this year i mean definitely seeing it in imax is just uh an incomparable experience uh though i'm sure it works in normal standard formats as well yeah, I think all three of us saw it in IMAX, correct? I think, Parth, you said that you saw it in IMAX? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it was incredible. Yeah, I did too. I saw it at seven, uh, in 70 millimeter. Um, and if you're also in the Bay Area and you're like, where can you get the 70 millimeter experience? They are playing it at the AMC Metreon in San Francisco that way. I believe it's the only way you can see it. Um, the last time I saw a Nolan movie in IMAX was at the Tech Museum in San Jose, which that's like the dome kind of IMAX where it's not a good idea to watch a movie that way, in my opinion, but whatever. Look, this movie is making way more money than a lot of his other movies have lately. Uh, Interstellar, ever since Interstellar, ever since Dark Knight Rises, I should say, his movies have been making less and less. Uh, Interstellar made around 700 to 800 million. Dunkirk was around 500 million. And Tenet was even you know less. It was like 300 something. This movie's already blown past Tenet. It's going to blow past Dunkirk. It could get up to around Interstellar, maybe more than Interstellar. We'll see. It's only in its like second week or so, and it doesn't have a ton of competition except for Barbie, which, I mean, those two movies have been helping out. They're helping each other out quite a bit. And I, I, I point all that out because I do think, like, to what you're saying, Will, there has been this sort of pressure on 
Christopher Nolan to, you know, be the last auteur blockbuster filmmaker standing. The only guy who can get people to watch his movies just because he made them, you know, movies that are not based on anything recognizable, but, you know, original screenplays, original ideas, and still with huge budgets and with a lot of people paying attention to them. And a lot of people like me, especially, were concerned in this summer environment where we have just seen movie after movie get huge budgets and try to get people's attention just crater. We've had way more bombs this summer than success stories. The success stories include, I mean, even before the summer, Super Mario Brothers, huge hit, and also Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Across the Spider-Verse did well. Other than that, we really have not seen these movies. Like We've seen movies just completely just be huge, huge disasters financially because they have massive budgets. And I mean, just look at the budget, for example, of something like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. That movie cost, what, like $320 million. A lot of it was because of the de-aging. A lot of it was because of the COVID restrictions. And if you look at Barbie and Oppenheimer, I think both of these movies were only made for like $100 million or so? I'll double check that, but I don't think these had huge budgets. Yeah, Oppenheimer, $100 million budget, and it's already exceeded past the point where it needs to break even. And I think that when the pressure is on for Nolan, I do think that he is able to deliver, and I'm particularly impressed that he was able to make this movie under a really hard development process. It's a movie he's been you know, wanting to make for, for a while, um, he started it up, I think 2021 is when this movie was announced. So I believe they were filming it last year. So they did have the benefit of like, po- like they weren't dealing with the, uh, the hardest impacts of like lockdown and like COVID rules and stuff like that. And so I bring all that up just to say that, uh, he still got it. And I, I'm happy to see that he, he is still able to deliver a movie that has like a, a soul to it. That was my main issue with tenant. I know you like that movie. Will, but to me, that movie was just soulless. It didn't have anything going for it beyond like just this weird mechanical gimmick. And it, it, to me, it just felt like a gimmick and a, a waste of a good uh, performance from the lead actor. But um, going back to you, Parth, I mean, have you felt this way about uh, the, the the box office lately? I mean, what, have you been watching movies in the movie theater? I know you don't you don't have like the film critic baggage we do you get to choose (laughs) which movies to watch how have you felt like you know this environment's been i know you mentioned that like it just feels like barbenheimer has been like a moment like a reason to go to the theater but yeah how how else has it felt for you oh yeah no there was an incredible amount of hype uh going into this uh you know the opening weekend you know and i think you mentioned it john but yeah i think oppenheimer opening weekend over 80 million barbie double that uh over 160 million so combined uh both movies just uh, very much exceeded expectations. Um, and so I think as a moviegoer, it just created a lot of excitement um, to actually going back to the theaters and watching movies. Like, I like how neither one of these movies were available through a streaming platform because I think that takes away from a lot of the uh, moviegoing experiences that, you know, the audiences really get to benefit from. Um, and so, yeah, I think this was pretty much like uh, one of the best uh weekends to go watch a movie um since covid happened and so i i I think overall like it was really neat to kind of see all this hype around it in fact actually i don't know if you guys noticed this or not but i saw a a lot of people even like dress up like for the barbie uh movie like so when i went to see oppenheimer 
I saw a bunch of people like dress up like they were about to go to a club or something and all pink. <laughs> uh, and, and it was actually like just a different type of like buzz and a different type of energy uh, that you really don't get it from the movie theaters anymore. And so it was really, really neat to see that. Friend of the show, uh, Mike Overholz, co-host of Mad Men Men, he uh, he literally dressed up in a Barbenheimer outfit. So he was wearing half pink, half dark clothes because he did the Barbenheimer double feature. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I did, awesome. I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I was going to ask, yeah, I mean, has there been any example, at least in recent memory, where counter-programming helped the other film? Like, We've already examples- talked about this with Barbie, Will. You asked this question. All right. Last week, fine. I still, I still don't have an answer for you. I don't think Parth does. Well, I don't know. I, I think was, it's that, unique. I was opening up to Parth if he wanted to answer. Let let him speak for himself. Fine, fine, fine. Nothing, nothing in recent memory. Well, honestly, uh, I think this is probably the first of its type where you have like two complete opposites of movies uh, really help each other out quite a bit um, and like build upon each other. And so, yeah, I, I don't remember going in and, and seeing like this much hype about like two completely different movies before. Um, so it, it, it must've been at least like five years since something like this has happened. Well, what's your, your theory for, for why these two movie movies caught on like they did? Like why these two, why not a uh, transformers rise of the beast? Like, what is it you think it was about them that just hit? Well, I mean, I think it's a number of factors, but I think there was genuine interest in both films. Like, I think, as you were saying, Christopher Nolan is a name. I think people trust him as a filmmaker, regardless of what they thought about Tenet, if they saw Tenet. Uh, I mean, it's just that sense of like, oh, Christopher Nolan is doing this three-hour epic about, you know, one of the most pivotal figures in American history. That's sure to be good. And then they saw that Barbie was coming out and on the same day, and it's like, oh, wow, like, a film I'm really interested in. Greta Gerwig is going to do this wild, poppy, uh, you know, uh, fizzy, entertaining take on the Barbies. And it's like, all right, these two movies are coming out the exact same day. They're totally different. You know, it's like very easy to see the like split photos of like Barbie, like pink and bright and bubbly. And then like the black and white photo of, uh, you know, Oppenheimer smoking a cigarette and all black and white. And it's just like, this is such an odd pairing. It would make for an incredible double feature. And also it's like the thing where it's like, you know, not to presume as far as genders are concerned, but like women would be more likely to want to see Barbie and men would be more likely to see Oppenheimer. There's crossover there, of course. So it's like date night. It's like one for the ladies and one for the fellas. And they kind of, you know, it's such an event that built from that meme that like people felt the desire, like I'm not going to get the full experience unless I see both of these movies. Cause that's like the total like 180 opposite kind of thing. And so, I mean, I think it also helped that like both movies were well received and have good word of mouth, not just from critics, but audiences. And I think that's why the second weekend has been really helpful for both. It's not just the meme of like, Hey, let's see these two totally opposite movies. It's an event. But also just the fact that they're both good and people are like genuinely recommending them on their own merits has been really, I think, beneficial to uh, both films. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think people were just also really craving an event film in a way that, you know, it's, you know, we don't really get to see like uh, a big, you know, epic movie about Robert Oppenheimer or we haven't seen a like major live action movie about Barbie in a way that like we've seen 
old Indiana Jones before. We've seen Transformers before. We've seen The Flash in the other Justice League DC movies. But this was like totally different, new. And uh, yeah, I think that's the big reason why this is becoming such a runaway hit for both films. All right, I'm going to read a kind of negative review of this movie from Letterboxd, and I'll read one positive, and I'll get y'all's reactions. All right, so uh, this is from Backwards Man, username on Letterboxd, said that, uh, love that I can openly say that Oppenheimer ain't it, at least for me, a three-hour expository dialogue courtroom drama with very little new or profound to say, but because no one works with the best sound editors and mixers in town, the whole thing gets to feel important and big. The shot reverse shot talk without breaks play captured in beautiful close-ups by Hoyt Van Hoytema is really just that an overblown trick elaborately put together by grand trickster Nolanito. But the further it goes on, the more apparent the tricks and cracks become. Uh, there's a lot more to this review, but I'll, uh, I'll finish out with the last bit here. Uh, for me, this felt highly inadequate, boring, at times sloppy, and for the most part, not engaging. At times I was hoping Nolan was going to go total weirdo mode and get super experimental but the biopicness and political bulk of the film just render this project into obliviousness. Either of you have a reaction to that? Um, I generally try to hear people out even when they, you know, I disagree with them, but I don't know. This, this kind of comes across a little smug, like they were going in wanting to hate the movie and, you know, they found reasons to not like it. It was like, see, I was right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think like it's definitely a movie that's, not for everyone, right? I think like it is, there is a lot of like uh, historical elements to it. And, uh, you know, I can see why like maybe your average moviegoer, uh, like myself, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of people like, you know, that might not be as into Oppenheimer as, because like I've heard from a lot of people that Barbie was a more entertaining film and like it's, you know, definitely like more, uh, more of a, more of a calm experience. Uh, you know, I think I walked out of Oppenheimer a little bit like stressed. Um, yeah. And it was, it, it was a lot, it is exhausting and, and it is a lot more political, uh, than I thought it was going to be. Um, and so I think like it is an acquired taste and I think like you have to have an appreciation, uh, for that part of history to really appreciate this movie. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think overall this movie just kind of checked all the boxes for me in terms of like what, like what the genre was for this movie. And I guess what it was trying to accomplish, you know, I think, Nolan did a great job, uh, you know, putting this together. And I don't think it was too excessive. You know, maybe three hours was unnecessary, but I, I don't think he could have cut much out of it, to be honest. I think everything kind of like was put together for a reason. So, yeah, I, th I think my favorite parts of the movie probably were in the second half. And I could see why somebody would look at the second half of the movie and diminish it to courtroom drama and, oh, it's kind of boring or whatever for them. I, it was never boring for me. And I think one of the reasons is because that's when I felt like the movie started to, that's when I thought it was starting to break free of the constraints of like a biopic and start to really be more, uh, in some ways unhinged. I mean, there are a handful of scenes in it. There's one involving just like through the sound editing, sound editing alone, a like cross cutting, um, in this like kind of, uh, I don't even know what kind of room it really was, but basically Oppenheimer is giving a speech and it's being like cross cut with like people cheering, but then people screaming. 
And it's like one of the best scenes I think Christopher Nolan's ever directed. Yeah. And that's the second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it's never always on that register. But I mean, that's part of why it works. It's a it's a frenetic movie. Like I never thought that it was like slow at any point, which is amazing yeah. considering it's three hours. And that's why it's exhausting. Yeah. Uh, Parth, did you know that the woman that's like getting her skin melted is Christopher Nolan's daughter? I did not know that. But I did hear... I did hear that he likes to put uh, family members in his movies, and so that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah. But I, but yeah, I, I didn't know it was his daughter specifically. I mean, I get the reason. Like, he wanted it as a filmmaker to be like he he no or uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is feeling like the weight of like the humanity that's been lost by his actions, and for, for Nolan, it's like nothing seems more harrowing than my own child you know, being desolated, but it just reminds me of, um, in revenge of the Sith, when George Lucas hired like his one son to be like uh, a Jedi lightsaber fighter. And like, he just gets like instantly shot. And just it could, like, it could be worse. So it could be like when, uh, in, in mad men, when Matthew Weiner cast his son as like sure. the creepiest kid in the planet, we need the most creepy perverted kid possible. <laughs> I know my son. <laughs> All right, I have a positive review uh, over here, and then we'll play the Rotten Tomatoes game and explain the Rotten Tomatoes game to Parth, of course. I don't think he's uh, he, this will be his first time playing it. But uh, okay, positive review. Uh, this one is from George Carmi, who gave it five stars. A ridiculous achievement in filmmaking, an absurdly immersive and heart-pounding experience. Killian Murphy is an effing stud, and RDJ will be a frontrunner for Best Supporting Actor. Ludwig Goranson put his entire... I'm not going to say this word, but uh, it refers to the family jewels. <laughs> he put all that into the score, coupled with the sound design that made me feel like I took a bomb to the chest. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my takeaway. Uh, I, by the way, Gordonson's music in this, I uh, he did uh, the music for a lot of things over the years. One of my favorite soundtracks he ever did, funny enough, is Community. I love the music for Community, and it's completely different in every way from this. But yeah, Gordonson, uh, lo- love to see you know Nolan working with somebody who isn't Hans Zimmer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had absolutely. I love Hans Zimmer. To be right. clear, I figured you, that's what he meant. But yeah. I had absolutely no idea that the composer of this film also worked on Community. Oh yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. May, I think mainly the first season, but uh, I know um, yeah for Tenet, uh, Gorenson also did the music for that. But I didn't really like that movie, so I didn't really listen to the music much. Um, so yeah, but uh, Hans Zimmer did Dunkirk, and uh, Interstellar was by uh, Zimmer as well. And so yeah, Gorenson's here. He's hanging out. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game then, uh, unless you had something else, Will. Well, I just wanted to also say just the incredible score. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just some moments, especially at the beginning, where you're like seeing inside like Oppenheimer's mind. And mm-hmm. it has like the science version of Tree of Life happening, where you're just like kind of getting these like fleeting moments of like nostalgic reminiscing and then like seeing like the inner turmoil of like this great idea that can't really come to fruition at that point in his life you know consuming and overwhelming him and yeah it's just you know some of the best use of imax i've seen in a long long time there's a uh, in my my letterbox review i i almost put this because uh, i did like a, a bullet list of uh stray thoughts i almost put this one in one of the reasons i didn't was because i didn't want to get you too mad at me will but i wrote like what if a Terrence Malick movie was good? And I knew that would that would just get you all fired up. Yeah, I mean, maybe someday you'll see the light. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, guess sure. the day is not today. So, Parth, well, we like to play a game called the Rotten Tomatoes game, 
where you and Will have to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score as of the day we're recording. And uh, But I am curious, Parth, have you seen the Rotten Tomatoes score at any point for Oppenheimer? Be honest. I actually haven't looked it up recently. Uh, I look, uh, So I did look at it uh, right before I went to watch the movie about a week ago. Um, it should be good. And I, Probably different. Yeah. It, yeah, I'm assuming it's different. Um, if anything, it makes it harder because then you're like, ooh, do I you know, go up? Do I go down? Do I stay? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, honestly, I honestly think like it's probably really good. If I had to guess, you know, well, you can, you can take the first guess we have, uh, well, we have 409 reviews counted. Um, one of them's mine. So you get a little hint, you know, I liked it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Parth, uh, what's, what's your, what's your best guess? It's gotta be 90 plus, you know, it, it, it's, it's gotta be up there. Um, I I'll go with even 90 An even 90 from Parth. All right. Will, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely thinking it's in the nineties. Uh, what, what score did Parth say? Par said 90. Okay, 90, just flat 90? Yeah, we're not doing uh, prices right rules. We're just doing right. who's closest. Yeah, well, uh, you better not one-up me. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say, but I think I said the score for Barbie. Did I say 94 for Barbie? I don't remember which one, what you said for Barbie, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to say 94 for this one as well. I'm sorry, Parth, but uh, yeah, Will, Will's been playing the Rotten Tomatoes game for a while. He got it spot on, 94%. And, oh, uh, man. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes he's good. So, sometimes, you know, he's feeling he's feeling the heat. But uh, this time, Will has to go first for audience score. Will, what do you think? We have five thousand plus verified ratings. Um, hmm. I feel like it's high. I feel like the audience might be a little restless for this one. Like your average audience, in a way that I mean, I love the court scenes. I didn't really get a chance to talk about that. Um, I, I love not only because it's thematically resonant, the consequence of his actions, all that. I just also just love seeing court scenes in movies like i would never i never want to go to court in person but like <laughs> if there's a court scene in a movie like i'm totally in i'm like i'm excited what's gonna happen here what are we talking about i'm gonna see um, you in jury duty just being like well yeah but when are you gonna yell and scream mm-hmm. and stuff when does jack nicholson come yeah and where is tom cruise <laughs> yeah where's my cousin Vinny? yeah um but uh yeah i'm gonna say 87 percent all right parth your turn we'll guess 87 oh man I'll, I'll have to go with i'll say 82 i'll say 82 oh man if you had gone higher than will you would you would have it it's 92 percent parth i think you meant to say 92 but uh you misspoke you were like a that's what happened i'm surprised by that honestly <laughs> I, I thought i thought I, it had been I, I didn't think it was gonna be that high yeah, I think y'all's logic was pretty sound, assuming that the the length, right, would kind of hinder some people. Be like, yeah, it's kind of long, and um, but uh, apparently people like watch the movie and we're like, eh, it's long for a good reason. Uh, Cinema score, will did you have a guess for that? Uh, Cinema score, uh, Parth, I don't know if you ever keep up with that. I but, yeah, I think I got spoiled on this one, so I'll mm. let Parth take it. So so Parth, are you aware of how Cinema score works? No, I'm not. How does it work? All right, oh, so can I can I explain? Yeah, well, you can do the explanation. <laughs> uh, so there are these kooks in Las Vegas who think, <laughs> oh, these people who spend all their time in the sun next to slot machines and cactuses, they represent the whole of America, their taste, their interests, their thoughts. So they Will, get Will them. has a bit of a, a gear grinding take on <laughs> Cinema Score. 
So they get the whoever many people. I don't know if it's ever the same people or just different. I, I, it's I, I, it's I little... different. We know that. It's okay. They choose Las Vegas because of the tourism. A lot of people go to Vegas and they watch movies while they're there. Yep. But then again, you it's or I, we both recently or somewhat recently went to Vegas. Neither of us participate in a uh, cinema. Yeah, because neither of us audience. went to the movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> did you think that you were going to get off the plane and somebody was going to survey you about <laughs> i would hope so <laughs> so well what you're telling me is i should probably guess lower for this one i didn't say that i'm just saying <laughs> uh you know any guess is kind of reasonable assuming we just don't have any clue who this audience could be but just generally speaking it's just supposed to represent your average random you know moviegoer audience in america what what would you think they would guess or and, what would and they, the grades what themselves it's letter grades um so they do a survey kind of thing and so the highest grade you can get is a plus and then it goes a a minus b plus b b minus and so on all the way to f and uh most movies do not get a plus or f i'll most for the most part movies tend to get in the b range and in the a range but like a b cinema score is actually like really bad because they these these tend to be inflated a bit so um yeah like okay. a lot of marvel movies you for know, example are like a minus you know what so i'll, with I'll go with the a minus i'll go with the a minus that that sounds about right either b right. plus a minus is probably my would be my guess but i'll be optimistic here and uh, I, well, you said you were spoiled on this, or you think you were spoiled? I, you, I'm what? pretty sure I was spoiled. It's A, right? It's A. Yeah, yeah. So part you, nice. you were smart to go a little higher. You weren't you weren't far off. Um, yeah. And then we'll finish off with Letterboxd, um, which my favorite app, your favorite app, everybody's favorite app. Uh, so on Letterboxd, it has 703,000 watches, a ton of ratings on Letterboxd. It's number 52 right now in the Letterboxd Top 250. So this is like, what, the third film of the summer to hit the Top 250? Because we had Spider-Verse, and I think we um, had another movie pretty recently, like maybe Past Lives or something like that, was in uh, this range as well. But uh, yeah, we'll start with you this time, Will. Average rating, 0 to 5. Uh, what do you think the Letterboxd score is? I'm going to say 3.4. 3.4? So, so Parth, these are like out of 5 stars. And uh, so it's like decimal points. Um, so we'll wow. just guess 3.4 out of 5. Yeah. Uh, Parth, are you I'm on surprise? I'm not, but I'm surprised you guessed 3.4 after all these other positive ratings. Yeah. Um, I, I, in retrospect, I'm kind of, I feel like I might have lowballed this one. But what, what do you <laughs> think, though, Parth? It's your turn. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a 4, an even 4. Yeah. Parth, Parth is way closer, Will. Um, yeah, it's 4.4. That's one of the hmm. highest uh, oh, we've wow. seen. I was nice. surprised too, Will, when, when I was just like, yeah, it's in the top 250. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the A's in the score. And you were just like, yeah, I think it's got like an F or whatever. I think I yeah, I think I think tuned out when you said it was in the top 50. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was because I was <laughs> talking and you're like, oh, I got uh, no point in listening. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we're way over time. But uh, thank you so much for coming on, Parth. Uh, it, was, it was fun talking Oppenheimer with you. Uh, I can't wait. To, to find out what other summer movie that is uh, making more money than expected we'll talk with you yeah. about again. I'm just bringing that up because Nope was kind of like that. But uh, hopefully we won't have to wait a whole other year to have you back on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. Definitely yeah. uh, want to come back soon. Uh, you know, it's, I, I thought this was an incredible movie. You know, I, I think, like, this is the type of movie to get moviegoers that don't really watch movies. Uh, 
out to yeah. the theaters. And so I think like, hopefully like, you know, there's a lot of appreciation from that perspective from folks like y'all that go to practically every single movie that comes out. You know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool to see uh, the average moviegoer get this excited about, about a movie. So it was you would have nice. thought Barbie and the father of the atomic bomb would bring people together, you know, not me. Yeah. <laughs> My agenda too, Parth, is that, uh, you know, Will hates it when I talk about TV shows on Cinemaholics for some reason. Mm. I don't know why. So my agenda is to have you back on for like when Will like pouts and fusses that I'm like, oh, let's talk about this TV show everyone's watching. That would be mm. a fun discussion. Oh, Will, you won't do it? I'll t- maybe I'll call up Parth. I don't know. I got you. So whenever you want to discuss the boys season four or whatever, something I'm never probably I mean, going to watch. Honestly, I mean, part of your, are I'm you a huge of fan of the boys. Yeah, See, there you I've go. watched all three seasons. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan. I can't get like I can't get Will to watch shows I know he would like. Like that's where we're at. Will, because oh. then he'll he'll be like watching stuff he knows he won't like. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so much we could talk. I could talk, I think, another hour about this movie. We didn't even talk about how this is like the. I don't know if it's the first, but like. The f- maybe the first Christopher Nolan movie with the sex scene in it. It is. I mean, that, that, that was did trippy. Prestige not? Did, did Prestige only hint at stuff? I don't remember. Well, I was trying to remember if Memento had a sex scene. Um, I think it. Uh, yeah, might have. Maybe I don't remember. I thought that scene was super creative too because it finally like kind of pulled in a uh, Emily Blunt's character, like Kitty. Uh, it kind of like we got to see it from her perspective, and so mm. I thought that was like super creative. Um, and unexpected as well. So it kind of threw me off. Yeah. Emily Blunt was quite good in this too. Um, no shortage of good actors. Casey Affleck gets like two scenes, but just like obliterates the time sure. that he gets. Uh, it's and, quite uh, great. Yeah. Florence Pugh is also really good in this movie. Is, I feel like, I mean, yeah, I, I want to talk more about her, but obviously we didn't get the time. Yeah. And I, I, the stuff I would want to talk about if we had more time is like, just how sort of like this movie reckons with like communism and stuff. And like, you know, just the, the McCarthy era in general and yeah. a lot of the politics around, like, why did we drop two bombs on, on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki? And like there, a lot of that history is something that I know, like growing up and like what you learn in school, there's way more going on with that than like what we learn, right. Through like mm-hmm. the American like school system. And, uh, I appreciate a movie like this that investigates that and pokes at it a bit. Yeah. Um, we, Cause we didn't even mention, there. we didn't even mention Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We didn't even go into the details of like why, like Louis Strauss had like such a, you know, he was, he had such a huge grudge on him, like, and tried to destroy his life. And like, we didn't even bring up the poisoned apple. The Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly a great what a what a hook of uh, of an opening kind of thing. But of course, one of the reasons we didn't get to a lot of that is because it's such a dense movie. Um, I know uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, Haunted Mansion, uh, which came out this past weekend. Will and I have seen it already, yeah. so we're hoping to to talk about that uh, here soon. But there's also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Mm-hmm. Will has seen that, but I have not. Um, yep. But I will probably see it. No promises. Uh, the the one that I think I want to watch next, uh, there's two movies I want to watch next. They clone Tyrone, which just got on Netflix, and Talk to Me, the, the new horror movie. And I, and I just have not been watching movies. I, I kind of took a little bit of a break from movies uh, this past week. Oh, yeah. The other thing is Theater Camp, which I've already seen. But I'd love to talk about it at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, Will, is there, what would you prioritize above all those movies? Like, if we could only pick one, which one would you I... go to? 
I really want to see a fire, which you're playing at the Harris right now. I, I would love to talk about yeah, that with yeah. you. I don't know if you're ever going to watch it, but I have uh, a screener for it, so I can watch it. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the beanie bubble. <laughs> I'm not going to oh, watch that. Yeah, right. I forgot about that. There's a lot of stuff. Part, part of all those movies I just mentioned, were there any where you were, that sounded interesting to you? Or that you've seen? Uh, I really want to watch Talk to Me. That one looks really uh, horrifying. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I think that'd be a fun movie to watch in the theaters. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we'll, we'll deliberate that and keep you all posted. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, we'll say goodbye. So from the internet of California, I am John Negroni. From the internet Pennsylvania, I'm uh, Will Ashton. I, I wanted to. That was pretty bad. I know. And uh, I wanted to go out on a bang. Okay, all right. And from Houston, Texas, uh, it's Parth. Hey, Parth. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you soon. Yeah. <laughs>